Gospel according to Luke. Tonight is kind of a continuation of this morning's lesson. This morning, we looked at the biggest little word in the Bible, or what I believe it is now. I mean, I used to have a differing opinion, but we'll go with this because this is today. Uh, what I believe to be the, the biggest little word in the Bible, and that is the word do. Do. This morning we talked about how that one little two-letter word is the dividing line. The dividing line between those who will be saved and those who will be lost, and we proved this time and time again from the scripture. We discussed how it was that chasm between the saved and the lost from several examples, and particularly when it comes to what one must do in order to be saved. But as we know, baptism is just the beginning. Just like when a baby is born into this world, we are born into Christ, it's just the beginning. And so this morning, having discussed at length what one must initially do in order to be saved, tonight we are going to discuss what one must continue to do in order to stay saved or continue to be saved from that point forward. Because going back to our Green Valley Bible Camp registration illustration from this morning, as we all know, just because one believes that the camp is there and does what they need to do in order to get registered doesn't mean that every one of them that registers is always going to make it to the camp. Things come up. Things happen. Just because one gets pre-registered does not mean that they are going to make it to camp. Maybe they didn't have full preparation. Maybe they got called into work. Maybe, maybe there was something in the family that took them away. We don't know, but in that same vein, just because one registers for heaven by being baptized, as we talked about this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24, just because one is registered in heaven when they are baptized and added to the Lord's church, doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to make it there all the way when they leave this earth. So tonight, again, what I'd like for us to do we talked about initially being saved and what we must do this morning is talk about now what we must do in order to stay saved or be saved after that point when it comes time to our truly making it all the way home. It's only fitting as we do that that we discuss this from the writer Luke. Because while Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, Luke wrote Acts in which we learn what we must do to be saved, it is that same Luke who many times in his gospel used the word do in reference to some of the things we must do to remain saved until the end. If you stop and think about it, when we hear the names of certain Bible writers or certain Bible books, there are certain words that we connect to that writer. There are certain themes that we connect to that book, as it were. For example, if I were to say to you, Book of Job, one of the first thoughts that would occur is patience, right? Or loss, or going through a lot of loss and tragedy. That's just associated with Job. If I were to say to you, the Apostle John. John wrote mostly about love, 
and about belief. He's known for that. If I were to say to you, the Apostle Paul, one of the first words that would come to mind in connection with the Apostle Paul is grace. Paul used the word grace, charis, in the Greek more than any other New Testament writer. There are certain books as well that we associate with certain words. For example, the book of Genesis. What do we think of? The beginning. Beginnings, that's what Genesis is. If I were to say to you, the book of Proverbs, wisdom, just automatically, that's the word associated with it. If I were to say to you, the book of Matthew, you think of how that was written to the Jews, or maybe the book of Ephesians, you think about the church. Maybe if I said the book of Revelation, you would think about apocalyptic writings. So let's talk about Luke and what we associate with Luke, because I really think the time tonight's over, maybe the word you associate with Luke will be one that you hadn't before, and that is the word do. When we consider Luke as a person, one of the first things that comes to mind is that Luke was a physician. That's, that's what he was. But when it comes to the Gospel of Luke or the writings of Luke, what is the first thing we associate with it? If, if somebody says to you, what's the book of Luke about? Well, one of the things you might think, well, that's the longest of the Gospels. Um, Maybe you think about the book of Luke and how he spent more time on the birth of Jesus, being a physician on, on the birth of Jesus than any of the other writers, or maybe something else. But, but tonight, I hope to change all of that, as I said, because I, I think that one of the first words that should come to mind when we hear Luke, or the gospel according to Luke, is the word do. Do. While the word do itself is certainly not unique to the gospel of Luke, there are a number of passages found in Luke that are not found anywhere else in the New Testament. The way they're worded in Luke, when it comes to being doing, things that, that we need to know in order to, to stay saved, as it were. There's a lot of times that there are eternal implications connected to the word do in the book of Luke, unlike any other. For example, for those of you who are taking notes, there's a phrase in the New Testament, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That exact phrase is found 18 times in the New King James Version of the New Testament, 18 times. Of those 18 times, eight of them are in the Gospel according to Luke. Eight out of 18, almost half of them are in Luke's Gospel. While Matthew uses that phrase five times, John uses it, uh, Mark uses it twice, John uses it twice, and Peter uses it once, Luke uses it eight of the 18 times. The phrase, do not be terrified, is only found once in the New Testament, and that's in Luke as well, Luke 21 and verse 9. Tonight I want to just make a note for each one of us. Briefly look at six out of the eight times that the phrase, do not be afraid, occurs in Luke's Gospel. The other two times that he uses the phrase are in Acts 18.9 and in Acts 27.4, do not be afraid. Let's just, I'm going to go through them real quick, and I want you to get a sense of, of Luke's usage of the word do in this phrase, do not be afraid, where he uses it more than anybody else. An angel of the Lord. Heard, uh, appeared to Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13 and said, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, 
and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Zacharias, do not be afraid, Luke says. An angel, the angel Gabriel, appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, and said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds tending their flocks by night in Luke 2 and verse 10 and said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And, and, and one of the reasons this is important is not just scoring how many times Luke uses the word do in the phrase do not be afraid, but I want you to think about this. Three times right out of the gate, this phrase do not be afraid. Are there ever times that we fear? We're afraid of something that the future holds. Luke's gospel is all about do not fear. You do not have to fear. You do not have to be afraid when you belong to God. In Luke chapter 5, after Peter, James, and John had fished all night to get this great catch of fish thanks to Jesus, both boats started to sink. Jesus would go on to tell Peter in Luke 5.10, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. Another occurrence of this phrase is in Luke 8. After Jairus' only daughter died, Jesus says to Jairus in Luke 8 in verse 50, do not be afraid, only believe and she shall be made well. When you stop and look at it from this vantage point or this perspective, the book of Luke is a wonderful book of encouragement when it comes to circumstances that cause us to fear or have a lot of anxiety and how many times, because he uses it more than any other writer, do not be afraid. We, we see it in Luke chapter 12 in a passage that is very similar to what we see in Matthew's gospel, but not exactly the same wording. <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. So you, you see this time again. But that's not the only way that Luke uses the word. There's a few paying your dues, not D-U-E-S, but D-O-S. There's a few paying your dues moments in the gospel according to Luke as he showcases some of the responsibilities that being a child of the living God requires. Again, what are we to do after we do what we must to be initially saved, as we talked about this morning? How are we to live? What are we to do? Those are some questions that Luke certainly addresses, even to those before it was available to them to become Christians. Look with me in your Bibles tonight, if you would, beginning in Luke chapter 3. Please turn there. We know that what he told them they needed to do in order to live godly. God has not changed and we still need to live godly. But we would notice in Luke chapter 3 beginning at verse 7. John the Baptist here it's talking about him. And it says in Luke 3 and verse 7 and following. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him. Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. 
Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Is it true today that we need to bear good fruit? Still true today, even though it wasn't open, the church wasn't open to them then to become Christians. Christ hadn't died, but it's the same God and we still need to bear good fruit. And, and so the people asked him, look at this, saying, what then shall we do? Even those people realized it was something they had to do to please God. There was a certain way they had to live, certain things they had to do. And he answered, verse 11, and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Do likewise. The phrase do likewise is a phrase that is completely unique to the Gospel of Luke. You will not find that exact phrase anywhere else in the scriptures. It is used once here and it is used in the account of the Good Samaritan. Go ye and do likewise. Luke's all about doing. It's about living a life doing what God wants us to. We continue here in Luke chapter 3, where it says in verse 12, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what do we do? We know there's something we got to do. What is it? He said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed to you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? Do you see even these people, even soldiers, are saying to John, we know there's something we got to do. Unlike the religious world today where, where people say, well, all you got to do to please God is believe in God. Well, yeah, you got to believe in God, but that ain't all of it. You got to believe in God enough to do what God said to do. And, and Luke is laying the groundwork for that. Luke should be known when you hear his, his name as, as the one who is all connected to doing. What shall we do? He said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. On and on it goes. If we were to turn over to Luke chapter 6, just, just the way he wrote, it was all about doing all the time. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, I want to read this, and I know it has to do with, with the Sermon on the Mount and, and all of that sort of thing that Matthew also talked about, but notice Luke's phraseology. Again, it's all about doing, count them. Luke 6 and verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Love that's just spoken is not love. Love that does not do is not love. We, we can talk about loving people. We can talk about loving our spouses. We can talk about loving our brethren, but, but brethren, loving involves doing. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Are we to do these things today? That's what Luke's all about. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not take them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good. Loving means doing. 
Loving is more than lip service. Loving is doing. And lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Judge not, you'll not be judged. Condemn not, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. He goes on down below there to even add to it. He spoke a parable to them, verse 39. Can a blind man lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? A dozen times, in verses 27 to 42, a dozen times, Luke uses the word do to spell out our responsibilities as people who are trying to please God. There's also what I would refer to as Luke's to-do list. Some of you folks may have a to-do list that you put together or somebody puts together for you. And Luke has a to-do list of some of the very critical and, and essential instructions, some of them unique to the Gospel of Luke. They're not phrased this way anywhere else. For example, in Luke chapter 6, look at verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? You won't find that verse worded like that in any other Gospel. You won't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? And as we talked about this morning, then Luke goes on to record Jesus' words about building on the sand and building on the rock. And of course, we, we know that from Matthew. But again, it, it's just... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Why, why is that? Why, why do people call Jesus Lord, and yet they're unwilling to be born again of the water and the spirit? Did Jesus say he's going to be born again of the water and the spirit and of the kingdom? Did he? Sure did. But yet there are many people in the religious world today who will, oh, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's all i got to do, say Jesus is Lord. Well, not if Jesus is Lord is that all you got to do, because Jesus, your Lord, said you had to do some other things. The old Nike slogan used to be, just do it, just do it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Just do what Jesus said. That's where victory comes from. The, the Greek word, the, the word Nike is actually the Greek word for victory. That's what it means. In Luke chapter eight, we would continue on this is worded very similar to the gospel according to Matthew, but not exactly the same. In Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him, could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered, and he said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. We mentioned this morning about those who hear the word but don't do it, building on sand. Those who hear the word of God and do do it, building on the rock. We, we talked about that. It's, it's in both Matthew and Luke's gospel, as we noted. But here Jesus sums it up real well. My brethren are those who hear the word of God and do it. As I said this morning, we've been set in church all our lives, but if we're not doing what God said to do, 
then it's pointless. We don't come to church because it's something we've always done. We don't come to church just because we want to socialize. We come to church to worship God, to learn from his word, to give us the strength to go out the rest of the week and just do it. That's why we come. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Didn't know there was this many examples in Luke, did you? In Luke chapter 10, more instruction for us. And, and we'll go over these because they all apply and pertain to us in our, in our staying saved, if I can use that terminology, in our, in our not losing what we've registered for. Let me put it in those terms. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Good teacher, or saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. And he said to him, what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? And he answered and said, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. Don't just quote it. Don't just say it. Don't just say it makes sense. Don't just say it's pretty. Don't just wear it on your keychain. Don't just put it on a bumper sticker. Do it. It is the one who does it. And again, we would notice, notice this, this lawyer is trying to trick Jesus. This lawyer even understands that there's something he's got to do. Once again, he wanted to justify himself in this same account. It moves on from there in verse 29. And it leads Jesus to Tell him about the Good Samaritan. And we know the account, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And look how that winds up in verse 36. Jesus says, so which is, we know the story. The, the Samaritan is heard, and we know the ones that pass him by. And we know that, I mean, I'm sorry, not the Samaritan. We know that there's a man that's hurt, falls among thieves. We know that a couple of religious guys come along. They avoid the whole situation. You can read this in your own Bible there in this account. And the Samaritan comes along and helps the man. Spends his own money on him, bandages him up, helps him. And so at the end of that story, Jesus says in verse 36 of Luke 10, So, which of these three, that is, which of those three men who came across this man who had been robbed, which of these three men do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And this lawyer says, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Don't just go and tell people about it. Don't just go and think about it. Don't just go and, and, and mull it over. Go and do likewise. And this story is found nowhere else in the New Testament except in the Gospel of Luke. Earlier in the sermon, we talked about the phrase, do not be afraid how Luke used it eight out of the 18 times it is used in the New Testament. We talked about the phrase, do not be terrified, and how Luke used it, the once that we see it. And now, we're gonna talk about the phrase, do not fear, and I know they're all very similar, but we're gonna talk about the phrase, do not fear, as it occurs in a sentence and a sentiment that itself is also unique to the Gospel of Luke. And that is in Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. 
unique to the book of Luke. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I, I tell you, I, I wish I could stop right there and preach for an hour on this one text. Do not fear, little flock. It is the father's good pleasure. Really? Uh-huh. God delights and wants to give you his kingdom? Uh-huh. That's, that's, yeah, uh-huh. God wants to give sinners like Doug Dingley his kingdom? Not only does he want to, it's his good pleasure. He delights in it. God, can, God can't wait, as it were, to give us the kingdom. So he says, don't, don't fear. We may sit back and say, well, I, I, I'm not worthy. No, you're not. Neither am I. None of us are. That's the way it works. It's God's good pleasure to give me the kingdom? Uh-huh. That's what Jesus said right there. He said, do not fear. Sometimes, and I touched on this this morning, sometimes we get near to leaving this earth and going on from this aspect of life to the next phase of life, and we begin to fear. This text says, don't, don't. God, his good pleasure, his design, if you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, he wants you in Christ, and if you are in Christ, it, it's his good pleasure to give it to you. Yes, it, it's yours, but but sometimes we fear, and, and one of the things in Luke's gospel that is so prominent, do not be afraid. Don't fear. Don't, don't be terrified. You know, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the fear of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You mean, I don't have to fear death? Nope. Uh-uh. If I'm in Christ, if I'm walking in the light as he is in the light, if my sins have been covered by the blood of Christ, I don't have to fear death. No, I don't. Why? Because of Hebrews 2? Because of a bunch of other Bible passages? But because of Luke 12 and verse 32... God wants so much to give me the kingdom for me to be a part of that. I don't have to worry about it. Jesus set me free from that. His blood set me free from that fear. Isn't that an awesome thing? Isn't that an awesome thing? That you know tonight, if your heart stops beating and you are in Christ, that you do not need to fear. Isn't that awesome? That's what it's all about. Another instruction that is unique to the book of Luke when it comes to the word do is found in, in Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 8, in this exact wording. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Yeah, we got a lot of things that we, we, we need to be concerned about if we're not trying to do the will of God. But he who did not know, verse 48, Yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. But the beauty of the doing is in verse 47. I need to prepare myself and do according to his will so I don't have to worry about the condemnation. Verse 47, I need, just like going to Green Valley, I need to make sure I'm registered. 
I need to make sure I'm prepared. I need to make sure that until the time comes that we go, that I am thinking about that, that I've got the right stuff, that I've got the, the sunscreen and, and, and the shorts and the hat to protect my bald head. <laughs> uh, we, 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 for months now, had a camper on reserve to, to go to Green Valley. All of this thing takes planning, preparation. Karen's been planning uh, what to take for, for food and, and bedding and, and all of those things. We're, we're constantly talking about and tossing around. We need to take this. Don't let me forget this. We're preparing, okay? But if we hadn't registered or we hadn't gotten the camper reserved, we'd be in trouble. Our lives continue the preparation, not for Green Valley Bible Camp, but for heaven itself once we are registered. I want to give you the rest of, or, or a bunch more, uh, let me give you several, let me put it in those terms, of things that are unique to Luke's to-do list as well. In Luke chapter 16, as we move through, and please turn there with me, verses 19 through 31, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We are very, very, very familiar with it, okay? Luke chapter 16, and we would look down, particularly in verse 31. The rich man is in torment in Hades, and he asks Abraham, who's up in paradise, to send somebody to tell his brothers. He don't want them to come to this terrible place. But Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead, if they do not hear. Brethren, we have got to hear the word of God. We have got to open our eyes and ears and listen to what God says and then do it. Just do it. But that all begins with hearing it. Are we really hearing it or are we blocking it out? And Jesus talked in, in Matthew chapter 13, he talked about those who have closed their eyes and closed their ears and, and they blocked it out, as it were. We've got to have open ears. We've got to not only hear it, but then we've got to do it. If we look in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 5, we would notice this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, here comes our lesson, when you have done all those things which you are commanded say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. This is a lesson on humility. It doesn't make me deserving of salvation because I do what God has required me to do. Some people will, will say of us in the Lord's church, you believe in water salvation. I don't believe in water salvation. But I do believe that I gotta do what God said to do in order to be saved and in order to stay saved. And when I've done all of those things, when I've done all of those things that God commanded, that doesn't mean that I've earned anything. That doesn't mean that somehow I'm better than him who provided my salvation. I've just simply done what was my duty to do to God. Perhaps one of the ones that we think of 
or hopefully will from here on the most, is in Luke chapter 22. This is not worded exactly like this in any of the other four Gospels. It's a verse on doing that you see every Sunday. Every Sunday that you come to the assembly of the Lord's Church, you see this word, you see this sentence. Can you see it right here? If you can't, you know what it says. Do in remembrance of me. That's straight out of the Gospel of Luke. That's, that's Luke chapter 22 and verse 19 where it says... He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you want a way to remember this sermon tonight and how the word do is always connected to Luke, here's your verse. Maybe. Unless it's this one. Try Luke 23 and verse 34. Another incredible text that is unique to the Gospel of Luke, but yet one that we could preach on and, and, and ought to just ought to get down on our hands and knees and, and thank God for. And that is in Luke chapter 23, in verse 34. We know it well. Luke 23, 34. As Jesus is being crucified, the beatings he's taken, the scourgings he's undergone, everything that Jesus has gone through that night, into that morning, then he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You'll find that nowhere else in Scripture in those exact words. You won't find this alluded to anywhere else, but Luke puts it in there because Luke is all about what we do and don't do. Maybe that's the one you'll remember to help you with Luke and his name being associated with do. If not, try this last one. In Luke chapter 24, Verses 1 through 5. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They found the tomb rolled away, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why? Do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do people today seek the living among the dead? Why do they seek to find life amongst the dead things of this world that cannot offer life? Why do people today seek immortality as it were why do they seek to truly live in the dead things of this world in the sin of this world Jesus said the words that I offer to you are spirit and they are life John chapter 6 the life is found in Christ and that is the only place so we why do we not seek life in him instead of in the things of the world I hope the next time that you hear Luke's name or you hear the gospel according to Luke, you will think of some of these unique instances where Luke is all about doing, not only doing in the book of Acts to initially be saved, but the doing in the gospel according to Luke that we need to continually do in our Christian walk. To do what God said to do is to live. To not do 
what God said to do is to die. What are you tonight going to do with Luke's to-do list? That is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. It's not just whether or not somebody comes forward to be baptized. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Although that is. It is what we do once we have obeyed the gospel with what we hear that is also a matter of eternal life and death. Listen, is this a fair statement as I close? Is it true that in order to be saved, one must be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins? Yes, they must do. It's a matter of life and death. That's a dividing line. But that same word do is a dividing line to us after we become Christians as well. Because if we hear and do not do, we can have registered but not make it all the way to our destination. The word do is a dividing line for us too. We must hear and do. You know why? Because there are no, no loopholes in God's word. Tonight, what do you need to do? Very simple. If you would be saved and you've never obeyed the gospel by being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, this is something you must do as we covered at length this morning. If you've already done that, but there's other things in your life that you're not doing what God said to do, either you don't have the strength, you don't have the knowledge and you'd like a Bible study, you don't have the courage, whatever it may be. Maybe you just need the prayers of the brethren to help with that. We would be delighted to help in any way we can to help you to do whatever it is you as an individual need to do in order to make sure that you are registered in heaven and that you make it all the way to that glorious eternity with God. If you have a need tonight, will you come to the front, please, as we stand and as we sing?